Grab our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Hey, um, they asked me if I would ask you to scoot in, if there's any space between you and the middle. Um, close it up because there's people still coming and, and, um, and yeah, and that. We, looks like we need more space. Um, let's go get some more space. Uh, if you want to hear some more about more space, uh, stick around. At the end of this service, we're going to have another family chat. We're going to have a family chat each, uh, each weekend um, through the month of February because the month of February is the last month in this space. That's it. This month, then it's over in here, and uh, we'll move out. Where are we moving to, and when are we moving, and what is that going to look like, and, and who's going to help? We'll talk about that later. Uh, you guys online, uh, stay uh, tuned for that. Um, so don't, don't bail, don't close your browser at the end, stick around for the family chat, um, and we'll unpack all of that stuff. But for right now, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 4 through 8, and um, as you turn there, let me just frame it up a little bit for you, what you're going to find there is that Peter unpacks this concept for us as Christians that Jesus Christ is and has been rejected by the world. Rejected. That's a key aspect of who Christ is. Rejected. And so, if you follow him, guess what? But not only is Christ rejected by this world and rejected by people, rejected by the fallen human heart. He is raised and honored by God. And so if you follow him, guess what? And that is what Peter breaks down for us in these next four verses. Of what is this dynamic of Christ being rejected, us being rejected, Christ being actually laid as the cornerstone by God and us fit to him. And what about those who don't come to that cornerstone? That's what Peter breaks down for us. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to jump in to the message this morning. So, brother, would you come and read for us 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8? 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is God's word. Amen. I was in a room a few years ago with um, a few Christian leaders who I have a lot of respect for, and um, they were discussing their concerns for Christians in the future. Um, 
And what was being noted was the fact that the rejection of Christian beliefs in our current society, nothing new, by the way, but in our current society, a little bit jarring, uh, the rejection of Christian beliefs meant that those who held fast to Christian teaching were being excluded from positions of influence in, say, multi multinational corporations. Uh, they were being excluded in, the, in academia, um, even here in San Antonio. Even here in San Antonio, Chick-fil-A is not allowed in the airport, right? Like, there's something going on. And the future, by the way, is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, right? Um, and the thing about rejection of Christians is that it's not just a part of our future. It's a part of our past. In fact, it's a prominent part of our, our past. It's a prominent part of Scripture. This is nothing new. And Scripture's answer, listen, is not fear. It is not fear. It is not anger. It is not outrage. God's multifaceted answer to the rejection of his people is a lot about is a lot of what first Peter the whole book is all about. And one facet of that answer is what Peter dives into here in verses 4 through 8. And we have to know it. We have to understand it. If we're going to understand what God is doing and how we fit into all of that, how even to feel about this sort of thing, we need to get that if you are fitted to, aligned with, built upon the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, then rejection is expected because he was rejected. But the logic is really simple. But the honor you might receive from people, the honor you might receive from this world or a company or an extended family member or applause that you might get from the internet, which the honor there is here today and gone later today. The rejection that you might get from people, from a company, from an extended family member, or from the internet, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. The honor God shows to those who trust in him and the rejection God has for those who don't trust in him. That is what matters. And that's what Peter's saying. Look, rejection stings. I get it. Even if you're like not picked for kickball, it hurts. Economic exclusion makes a real impact on real people and real families. But it's all temporary. Right? When the world is saying, you don't fit into what we're building. Scripture is saying, don't panic. 
don't worry. Don't be ashamed. Don't be outraged. Because if you're in Christ, you fit into what God is building. Be fit to the stone. He will stand forever and you with him. That's what Peter's trying to put your eyes on. So let's get into it. Let's jump into it. We're going to break it down in three basic movements here. First, we're going to consider that Jesus was rejected, right? The cornerstone, rejected and chosen, right? Then we'll look at those who come to the stone, and then we'll look at those who don't, rejecting the stone, right? The cornerstone, rejected and chosen, coming to the stone, and rejecting the stone. So let's first, let's look at Christ, right? Because that's how the logic is all built. And maybe you can see that already just by reading the passage, but we'll walk, it, walk through it carefully. But that's how the whole logic that Peter is giving us here is built, that Jesus is profoundly rejected. And Jesus is profoundly honored. He's both in different ways. And you need to understand that your life, if you're in him, is going to be rejected in the same ways and honored in the same ways. And Peter's making both of those points here. First, that Christ is a reject. Christ is a reject. And they may may be hard for you to hear. Um, because you're here, right? You walked into a building and had a big cross on it, right? You don't think of Christ as a reject. Like, you're, you're coming to where Christ is proclaimed. And you may be here because you love him. Or you may be here just because God is softening you to him and his work. But the Bible says that on our own, in our own fallen human hearts, People are against God and against his son. That's the way we roll. If if you love sin, for example, then you reject Jesus because Jesus says you have to put away your sin. So I I, I don't want to put away my sin. I love this sin. I, I want to put you away. I mean, I'm okay with Jesus if he doesn't say I have to put away my sin, but if he says I have to put away my sin, then I've got to choose. I've got to, I've got to pick. Am I going to be in line with the cornerstone or am I going to be away from the cornerstone? Of course, in our own human, at, our, at the human level, we're the ones who are making the judgment, right? Am I picking this or am I not? But ultimately, it's are you in line with the cornerstone or are you not? And those who love their sin say, I'd rather have my sin than Jesus. Or those who love their self-righteousness Jesus says, you can't have your self-righteousness. Jesus says, you have to acknowledge that the only way that you can stand before holy God is being completely covered by my grace in my cross. That is your righteousness. And you say, ah, I kind of like my righteousness. I, I kind of think that I, you know, I'm flawed. I'm not a perfect person. Wow, I love it when people say that. It's like the biggest understatement in the world. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> You're deeply flawed and pervasively depraved. Um, 
You can't have your self-righteousness and Jesus at the same time. And so the fallen human heart says, well, if I can't have my self-righteousness and Jesus, then I'm going to set Jesus aside. That's the way we roll. We love our own way. We love our own wisdom. And even when we recognize that we blow it, we love our own bootstraps. From the beginning, we rejected God's command in the garden. We have rejected God's law as a people, his prophets as his spokesman, and his son as redeemer. Christ is a reject. If you think Jesus is cool, it's probably for one of two reasons. One, you might not understand him. If you think Jesus is cool, you might not understand him. You might think of Jesus as just kind of the glowy guy with flowing hair that holds a baby lamb. And, like, who's not down with that guy? I mean, that guy looks really unoffensive. He looks really unoffensive, which is the opposite of what the Bible says Jesus is. The Bible says Jesus is offensive. Either offensive as Lord, who says, your whole life must be submitted to me. I'm like, whoa, that guy? Or as Savior. Your sins must be forgiven. So it's possible, if you think that Jesus is cool, it's possible you don't understand him. Or secondly, it's possible instead that God has softened your heart. So you really do see your need for him. You really do see your need for him as a savior. You really do see your need for him as a king. And you're coming to him that way. But apart from those things, you have to recognize Jesus is a reject. But Peter is also saying this, not just as you come to him a living stone rejected by men. He's also saying, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So Jesus is a reject in some ways, but in other ways he's honored. He's chosen, right? Chosen and precious, right? This reject has been obedient in every way, even death to, on a cross, and Jesus has raised him to and God has raised him to life, the author of life, whom people judge unworthy of life. And he is our life. He's the cornerstone. He's the basis of all of God's work. You know what a cornerstone is? We've already said it a few times, but so cornerstone is, is the massive stone by which every other stone in the building is judged to be either straight or plumb, right? So the massive stone on the corner, and then from that stone, every stone from there on this side is straight if it's in line with that stone. And on this side, every stone is straight if it's in line with that stone. And all the way up, every stone is plumb or straight up and down if it's in line with that stone. He's the cornerstone. That's what, corners, that, that's what Peter's talking about. That's what the Bible is talking about whenever it's referring to 
the cornerstone, the basis of all God's work among humanity. So here's something you have to get in order to make sense of your Christian life. That cornerstone has been profoundly rejected. And if you're in line with him, you will be too. Yet that cornerstone is profoundly honored by God. And if you're in line with him, you will be too. That's what Peter is saying. That's that's the logic behind all of what Peter's going to say for the next three verses. And he's going to talk about those two groups. Those who are in line and honored by God, yet rejected by men, and those who are not, and therefore rejected by God. Let's look at those two groups. Ready? Coming to the stone. Coming to the stone. That's the first group. Peter is saying, you who are coming to the stone, don't worry about what the world thinks. If you're in line with Christ, revel in that, rest in that. You are those who are coming to the stone. And then Peter gives this description of what that means, who you are, if you are those who are coming to the stone. It reminds me of a story I read once. It was about gang members who were coming to Christ and um, this one gang member sat down with the pastor who led him to faith and said, so what am I now? Like, I know what I was. That was really well defined for me. And people know what I was. But now what am I? I the, the people I used to run with, they know I'm not that anymore. And I know I'm not that anymore, but what am I? And Peter gives us a six-point list of who you are if you're in Christ. If you are in the cornerstone, if you are on him, here's this six-point list that Peter says, this is who you are. This is, these, who, these are who come to the stone, right? This is what defines them. Number one, they're aligned. They're aligned. That's what he says right at the top. As you come to him, as you come to him, you're coming to him. You are fit to him. You're straight across with him. You're straight up and down with him. You're coming to him. You're submitted. You're obedient. You're defined by him. In your life, straight is defined by Jesus. Plum is defined by Jesus. Level is defined by Jesus. You're aligned. Number two, you're together. It says, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built up together. A spiritual house, not a pile of bricks. In fact, the four major metaphors that the Bible uses for the church is this. House, body, family, flock. And they all emphasize the collective. You're together. There are 
no Lone Ranger Christians in the New Testament. You are being built together, need fit with gift, edge fit to edge into a spiritual house of worship of the living God. You're not by yourself in this. You're together. Number one, you're aligned. Number two, you're together. Number three, you're consecrated. Consecrated. As you come to him, built as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, he says. To be a holy priesthood. You're consecrated. You are made pure to live pure. You're made pure to live pure. You know, the priests were purified as a work of God. You don't, you don't audition for the role of a priest, right? Praise God. We didn't audition to become Christians, right? No one gets the role in that case, right? You don't, you don't audition to become Christians. You are consecrated by God himself. You are purified, and you're purified to live pure, right? One of the reasons why the priests were purified by God was so that they could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people in a purified way. And so you are purified, you're consecrated to live in a consecrated way. It doesn't make sense for a consecrated person to live in an unconsecrated way. Like when, when you walk in a way that's impure, it should feel like this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. I've been consecrated. I'm not that kind of instrument. Number one, align. Number two, together. Number three, consecrated. Number four, pleasing. Pleasing. By God's grace, you are actually capable of good and holy conduct. See Romans chapter 12. You can do good. Yes, you are flawed and pervasively sinful. That is true. But by faith, you can do what is pleasing to God. Isn't that, isn't that a pleasant thought? Because like, like I, I know how badly I blow it in my tone and motives and all the rest. I'm always just sort of stumbling over myself, even in the midst of doing good. But what the Bible is telling me is that I can make it my aim to please the Father. I can please God by faith, by his grace. I can do what is spiritually acceptable to him. Aligned, together, consecrated, pleasing. Number five, believing. Believing. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, and then he quotes Isaiah 28, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, it's all by faith. It's all by faith. So let me get real clear. Yes, yes, if you're in Christ, you live in a way that's aligned with him. And yes, you are consecrated, made pure to live purely. And yes, you make it your aim to please God. But all of that flows from faith, from faith. 
All of that is a result of believing the truth about him and entrusting yourself to him. Don't think that if I just do these things, right? If I just live a a life that's aligned with Christ's teaching, or if I just live a life that's pure, or I just live a life that is pleasing to God according to these rules or guidelines, then I'm in him. No, it's the other way around. If you place your trust in him, then this is what it will look like. That's an important understanding of the, of the order in which God's work operates. Number five, believing. Here's number six, and it's the main point that Peter's making. Number six is the main point that Peter's making. You are honored. You're honored. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. You're honored. Again, Peter is quoting Isaiah 28. And one of the best ways to get a full understanding of everything that Peter is communicating here is to read the three passages that he quotes. I'll give them to you right now. Don't flip to them right now or I'll lose you. Isaiah 28. Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8. And if you read those passages, like Peter's not ripping them out of context. He knows what he's carrying forward into his writing by quoting these particular passages. And if you read them, I can promise you two things. It'll be rich and it'll be scary. Because Isaiah's not messing around. Isaiah is saying right here, look, there are those who trust in other things. And God says, I'm the one who lays the cornerstone. And there's going to come a time where the people who trust in other things, other refuges, they're going to be swept away. They will be judged, scourged. They will find themselves in need. But the one who trusts in me will not be swept away. The one who trusts in me will be the one who doesn't panic. He will not be put to shame. The one who trusts in my ways, my work, my grace, my cornerstone, he will stand firm and all others will be swept away. Check it out, Isaiah chapter 8. And I got to tell you that this truth holds my heart steady. Because I know you're like me and tempted to place your, your, your confidence just in other things. Your heart is like mine in that it, it, it wants to go in other places. Well, I, if, if this person or if this plan, or if this resource. And God consistently brings me back to this. Let your trust be in me, my ways, my grace, my son, and you won't be put to shame. And you won't be put to shame. And I don't know what you're tempted to build your life on. approval of your extended family, some 
work thing? Society at large? I don't know. There could be hundreds of different things, other refuges of lies. That's how Isaiah talks about them. They're just refuges of lies. I don't care what promises they've made to keep you steady. In the end, they will fail. But he who trusts in me will never be put to shame. And you can rest your heart on that. You'll be honored. Well, that's what Peter has to say about those who come to the stone. But not everyone comes to the stone. What about them? Peter talks about them too. There are those who at a human level say no. They reject God's ways. They reject God's grace, his kingship, his people. What about them? So let's look at it, rejecting the stone. And let me just say, before we dive into the the five things that Peter says about them, it's not really common. It's not really common to see the writers in the New Testament talk about unbelievers. That's not unheard of, but it's most of the writing in the New Testament is focused on believers. And every once in a while, for good reason, a New Testament writer will focus on unbelievers. And I think it's helpful to understand like why. What like what is Peter doing with this? Discussing unbelievers. And in, in one of the things that Peter's got going on here is a warning. It's a warning. There are those who are unbelievers who are mixed in being the audience of this letter. And it's a warning to those to recognize that those who reject Christ will ultimately be rejected. But more than that, Peter's main emphasis here, his thrust, his target here is that you would not envy Those who get the appointment, the applause, the project, the advancement. How easy it appears to be for those who do not hold the convictions. And Peter's saying, don't envy them. Don't envy them. Because here's the thing about those who reject the stone. Number one. They're unbelieving. They're unbelieving. He says, the honor is for those of you who believe. God's honor for you. Eternal honor for you. But for those who do not believe. Again, this is the key differentiator here. I hope that everyone will go away from here understanding that the key differentiator between those who come to the stone and those who reject the stone is faith. It's trust. It's not obedience, not foundationally, not foundationally. Those who trust will obey, but the key differentiator is trust. It's not being together with his people, right? Those who trust him will join themselves to his people, as he's instructed them to do. But the key differentiator is trust. They're unbelieving. Number two, they're rejecting. They're rejecting. It says, builders, the builders, the stone that the builders, sorry, rejected has become the cornerstone. 
The stone that the builders rejected. They are, at least at a human level, they're doing a rejecting. Who are these builders, anyway? Everybody. These builders are everybody. This scripture is applied to Babylon. This scripture is applied to Israel. This scripture is applied to the Jewish leaders in the time of Christ. This scripture is now being applied by Peter to the first century society. Because everybody's building. Everybody's building something. People are building. People are building a company. People are building a society. And the question that they have to answer is, where does Christ fit? Where does Christ fit into all this? You're building. You're building a family life. You're building a work life. You're building a thought life. And you are faced with the question, where does Christ fit? And let me just tell you what I'm sure that you are already finding. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. If you, on your own, are building your own life, and you're like, I need to find a little room for some Jesus, he will not fit. And you'll find that the spot that you have for him becomes more insignificant and more irrelevant to the point where he becomes merely a hood ornament and then you set him aside and ultimately what has come about is you have rejected the stone. You were looking for a spot for him before, but you, what you realize is that he doesn't fit. Nothing you build that doesn't have him as the cornerstone will find a space for him because he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. But here's the reversal. Peter says, the rejectors become the rejected. Again, he's quoting Psalm 118 and a refrain in Psalm 118 in regards to those who are the rejectors. The psalmist says, I cut them off. I cut them off. I cut them off. The rejectors become the rejected. In fact, Peter elaborates and then quotes Isaiah 8. In fact, they are stumblers, right? They're unbelieving, rejecting, and they're stumbling. Well, what does he mean, stumbling? Well, Peter is using it in the same way that Isaiah is using it. Isaiah, and again, you can read Isaiah chapter 8. It'll get rich and real. He's saying, I am giving these people a chance to trust me, to fear me instead of other things. Do not fear what they fear. Do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. But let me be your fear. Let me be your dread. Put your trust in me. And that is going to trip them up. When it comes right down to whether I'm going to trust in God and his ways and his son, or am I going to trust in other things, there are going to be those who trip over that Here's what he says. And their refusal to trust me will break them. Their refusal to trust me will break them. Because they disobey the word. 
that's his fourth, his fourth characteristic of these who reject the stone is they're disobeying. They disobey the word. What word? The gospel word. You know, that the gospel is news, but it's news that you respond to. It's an appeal. It's an ambassadorial appeal. It's like an ambassador coming from a king. He says, I've got news for you. And it's in the form of of an appeal. Here it is. Repent and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. You will be saved. You will be built together with the others as a house of worship for our God. This is your appeal. Will you Receive it. And I'll make that appeal to you right now. There may be people who are in here. Are you kidding me? A crowd this size? There are people who are in here who are just checking it out. Or there are people who are here who are just sort of playing the game, right? Like, and I've come to church all my life. I, don't, I, I know that at heart, I'm not trusting Christ, but Here's the appeal. Don't set Christ aside in your heart. Do you think that a life built on some other foundation will satisfy? When you've been made by him to be satisfied in him, don't set him aside. Don't. Keep playing the game. He's giving you a chance to trust in him. Don't trip over it. Because if you set him aside, you'll break. You will be judged. That's the point that Peter's making, is that you think you're judging him. From your perspective, that's what it feels like. You're assessing Jesus. You're assessing God's commands. You're sizing him up, and you're either going to take him or leave him. But in the end, God is the judge. God is the judge. And you will either be placed into what he's building or you won't. And the last thing on the list, interestingly, is this destined. Destined. Right? They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The point is that we should not ultimately think of people as in charge of what God is doing, right? People are not ultimately in charge of what God is doing. God is in charge, which is not to say, not to say that those who unrepentantly reject Christ are somehow not responsible for their disbelief, not responsible for their rebellion. The Bible says that they are. God is a righteous judge. The the point is, 
not that anyone should ever just shrug and say, well, huh, I don't believe and I guess I'm destined not to. Or that you should shrug over anybody else. I guess they're destined not to believe. No, that's not the point at all. This may be your moment. If you sense the conviction of, I'm really not trusting him, this is the opportunity. Repent and come to him now. And those you know who are rejecting Christ, Scripture sends you to woo them. But God is God. He is not at the mercy of human decisions. Inside the mystery of God's sovereignty, we find ourselves truly responsible for a real choice to submit to Christ, and yet God ultimately remains the architect who ordains all things. He's laid the cornerstone. He builds his work. He's not sitting around wondering how people are going to judge him. He's the judge of matters. Even though people's judgment, people's judgment seems pretty big in our eyes and sounds pretty loud in our ears. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about. Peter's saying, don't let the judgment of people be that big in your eyes or that loud in your ears. Instead, if you, if you are being rejected, because of his name, rejoice. This is exactly how they treated Christ. Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And if you're tempted to be discouraged, that you're passed over or set aside or rejected or excluded by anything in this world, Peter's saying, you can rest assured that if you are aligned with the cornerstone, if you are in him, you have all the honor that matters. You might not fit into what the world is building, but if you fit into what God is building in Christ, then you will never be put to shame.